and my dad's like, what's this about? And, and the AD was like, oh, we were just wondering if Jill would, uh, would coach cross country. And he was like, yeah, that sounds great. She'll do it. Diz Runs Radio episode 1050 starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey, y'all, real quick before we dive into today's episode of the show, just a uh, little a little plug for the book, the book that has been written, not the book that uh, is theoretically still being written. Um, we're working on it, slowly but surely, but uh, Be Ready on Race Day came out a few years ago, and it is still out there, still, I think, I hope, still a viable tool to help you put your training plan together. If you're at that point where maybe you know hiring a coach isn't for you, that's cool, but uh, you're also at that point where you're like, yeah, you know, one size fits all. Not really uh, sure that works out. Be ready on race. They can really help to fill that that space, help you to take either either take a one-size-fits-all plan and tweak it and adjust it and, and have confidence that the tweaks and adjustments that you're making are good, are sound, are going to help you be ready for your race, or just start with a blank page. Fill it in as you go using the, the outlines presented in the book or the, 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 pr- the principles, basically the exact same steps that I follow when somebody does hire me to uh, help them train for a race or you know just continue to work with them over a period of time. Um, everything I do is in the book, I think. Just about everything I do is in the book, except for me. I'm not in the book, but uh, all, the, all the principles, all the best practices, everything that I've learned up to that point is all in the book. And uh, I like to think it's pretty, pretty useful, pretty helpful, certainly uh, better than a stick in the eye. So if you want to check it out, get some sample chapters, uh, get a feel for, for the layout of the book, and then uh, you know eventually maybe even grab yourself a copy, bereadyonraceday.com is the website. Or if you're just like, yeah, you know what? That sounds perfect. You can just head right on over to Amazon, uh, type in Be Ready on Race Day in the search bar, grab yourself the digital version, grab yourself the print version. I don't Grab yourself both if you're, if you're so inclined. Uh, but whatever version is your style, it's available, get a copy, and then most importantly, put it to practice. Actually implement what we talk about in there because that's the only way for it to actually help you be ready for your next race is to, uh, you know, do the thing. So check it out, bereadyonraceday.com. And uh, now, without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey, y'all. Uh, we've got a little bit of a daily double situation today on the show because we've got two guests for the price of one, which doesn't happen around here often. But every once in a while, we're, we're blessed to have, to have two on at the same time. And today's guests are uh, husband and wife duo, uh, runners, coaches, authors, and uh, parents. You know, I mean, just doing, doing all the things together. And uh, certainly looking forward to diving into some of those different aspects of their life and their story today. And, you know, who, as always around here, we'll start off talking about running. Who knows exactly where we'll go, but we'll end up somewhere fun, hopefully. And uh, without any further ado, it's a pleasure to uh, be able to welcome Jill and Dave Henry to the show. So thanks for joining us today, y'all. Really appreciate it and looking forward to it. Thank you for having us. Thanks like so to much. Be here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
Y'all, as, as we get going today, like I said, we're going to definitely talk about the book at some point. We'll, we'll get to it, and it's, it's, it's a good one. Uh, and that's probably, as far as websites go, that's, that's the website that we'll, we'll mention here today. GreatestCollegeHealthGuide.com, all, all one word. You know how URLs work by now. It's 2022. GreatestCollegeHealthGuide.com is the website. On Instagram, you can connect with, with them there at their, their more personal handle at, at 2 Henrys. Just kind of like it's it's all spelled out to the, the the word to T W O C O A C H H E N R Y S, and uh, the more of the book social media on Instagram is at Greatest College Health Guide. As per usual, of everything links up linked up in the show notes for today. Uh, some photos, links to to buy the book, links to s- social media, links to whatever else we talk about that makes sense to links to link to. Dizruns.com/slash/ten fifty. Dizruns.com/slash/one zero five zero will get you back to the show notes for today. So. Jill and Dave, the the introductory question, the same as the, that we always ask everybody each episode of the show. Uh, you, you told me that you had some discussion about this, so I'm, I'm interested to hear kind of how it shakes out, what what y'all came up with as far as answers go. But for each of you, what is your favorite distance to race and why? So I put some time into thinking about this, <laughs> and my favorite race is the 10K, and it's for a couple reasons. Number one. I feel like a 10K, as soon as it starts, I can't run hard for a 10K. I'm just not that kind of person. I'm not that kind of machine. I'm not that kind of animal. And so when the 10K starts, I have to kind of control myself for at least the first half of it. And then when you're halfway in, you're like, okay, I have not been pushing myself that hard. Now it's time to go. I feel like Half of a 10K is about all I can really gut out in terms of turning it on. And so I love that, uh, you know, anytime a 5K starts, I feel like I'm just trying to play catch up the whole time. I'm completely out of breath. It feels like a sprint. And I love the half, love the half, but I have to really be in good shape for the half. (laughs) And so if somebody's like, hey, there's a 10K this weekend, I'm like, sweet, I'll see you there. You know, that's the kind of thing I can jump right into. And so I love the 10K for that specific reason that it's the perfect distance for me to pace myself and then really try and start catching and passing people once I'm halfway through. Yeah, we we share the same race. We had an argument about it last night because I was hoping we'd have a different answer, but... I am also partial to the 10K for similar reasons. I really like running fast, and I've done a lot of halves, but I just can't hit a clip and a half that I can in a 10K. And so I feel like the 10K is, it's efficient. It's like the longest distance that I can run the fastest for, if that makes sense. Um, 5K feels like it's too short, and it's not enough of a, I'm like, if it's a great course, a 5K is great, but I, I like how long the 10k is and that when you're done you feel like man I put in some work today I'm exhausted and I uh I raced and you know ran hard and so I find that it's kind of the perfect in between of the 5k and the half so we both have the same answer there 10k that's fair that's fair and and I I feel like the 10k I was laughing Dave with your answer because I was like well you know if, if you kind of cruise for the first half and then push it like I mean if only there were 5K races that you could just push it from, from the beginning. Um, but then, you, then you flushed it out enough that I was like, "All right, all right, I can, I can, I can, uh, I can see that situation." And yeah, the, the 10K is, it is, it, it is definitely a good, you know, like it, 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 it isn't that sweet spot of you got to go, but at the same time, like it's not all out and there's some some restraint that's required. And yeah, it's it's a good distance. Do you have? I feel like I ask this kind of follow up every time somebody talks about the 10K, but like we have like 
five Ks here in town, every, multiple five Ks just about every weekend of the year. There's like one or two 10 Ks per, per year, uh, at least, you know, in the super local running town that we have. Do y'all have access to a lot of 10 Ks out, out on the left coast or is it uh, a little bit few and far between for you there as well? I feel like they're typically partnered on, <clears throat> excuse me, onto, onto half marathons. And mm-hmm. so there'll be a half marathon that everybody's gearing up for. And then you've got to be the embarrassed little sheep that's there. It's <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm actually here for the 10 K. Um, it says it right on my bib. That's why I've got to go line up over there and eat a banana while the real people go line up uh, over there. Um, but I, I feel like it is, it's relatively common and we're lucky in the Southern California area that there, God, there is a race like every single weekend, yeah. pretty much somewhere. And so that, that helps in terms of kind of spreading th- things out. If your training's not going to line up with whatever you can be like, Oh, well I'm tapering right now. Maybe I need to wait a little bit and then I'll sign up for that race. Uh, well, we're and, lucky. and we tend to have a rotation too. We do the same ones every year. I mean, that got blown up because of COVID, but there are 10 Ks or a comparable distance. Like there's a, the, I think the second oldest trail race in the country is actually in one of our neighboring towns. And it's not a 10 K it's 8.4. So it's a bit longer, but still in that sweet spot distance where you obviously need to be in good shape for it, but you don't need to be training for, you know, six days a week, um, or at least the way I like to train for a half, I feel like I have to really commit more than I do for that distance. So there's a lot of good trail options that are not necessarily exactly 10K, but are definitely less than a half um, that sort of meet that need. Yeah, and that's and that's another good good benefit of good benefit. That's terrible English, but whatever. I'm not an English guy. Um, <laughs> you know, another another perk of of that type of distance is that yeah, yeah. you you can pretty much hammer it as long as you're running consistently. You can kind of jump in and and throw down without any set training plan, which I guess you can do that for a 5k too, but we don't like the 5k around here. So uh, we'll focus on on the 10k. The 5k, Dave and I have blown up in so many 5ks. Dave had one a few years back where he started at like five, like a very arrogant pace, like five, (laughs) five minutes and change. (laughs) You're a real jerk if you're running that pace. No, but ended up getting beat by, you know, the, the 10 year old boys who go out there in their Nike freeze. Oh no, I, I remember this race. We were in Scottsdale, Arizona and I took off. It was stupid. It was one of these races where like, there's not that many people. We showed up and we were like, Oh, I guess everybody's sleeping in today. And when people took off, I, I ran track in high school and I ran in college a little and I wasn't great at it, but I was a mid distance, short distance sprint runner. And so when the gun goes off, I have that like little dog thing in the back of my brain that's like, you got to go. <laughs> and I'll never forget these people kind of taking off. I'm like, well, there's not that many of them. I'll just stick with them. And, you know, the little thing in my ear goes off and it's like one mile five minutes and 45 seconds. And I'm like, I'm setting records today. You know, just felt like Superman. And then, you know, maybe 400 meters later, this guy and his dog pass me. And I'm like, oh no. And then his dog starts taking a crap in the race (laughs) and he has to stop. And I'm like, that's what you get. Uh, And then another 800 meters go by and the same guy and his dog passed me and I'm like, okay, I'm suffering right now. I'm probably not keeping up the pace that I started with. And I'll never forget, like, as I'm cruising to the finish, cruising, more like suffering, this old man, I can hear <sighs> 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 from like 
you know, however far, 100 meters behind me, and he's barely moving faster than me. But the saddest part is I cannot go any faster. <laughs> and so I just heard him for, you know, easily a minute before he passed me and looked at me while he made his terrible breathing noises. And there's nothing I could do. He he ran the race better than I did. Um, and that was uh, that was a shameful day in our, in our family. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like the last 5K that I ran, which I don't remember exactly how long ago that was, but it's it's been long enough ago that I'm I'm in no rush to run another 5K. But yeah. I, I heard a guy breathing like that, um, like a quarter of a mile into the race, and I was like, bro, like, yeah. <laughs> if, if you're already wheezing, like, I mean, maybe back off just a little bit because we still we still have you know just about three miles to go. Um, but, but thankfully for me, he didn't catch, like I caught him at that quarter mile, mile mark and then left him and, and I didn't hear him again, um, before I got to the finish line. So I guess, I guess I paced it a little better than you did, Dave. <laughs> it sounds like uh, it. Yeah. You know, you did. You did. <laughs> that, that's, that's the truth. And, and, and that's why I'm going to not run any more 5k's anytime soon because I, <laughs> I paced one right and we're going to go out on top. Even if, you know, you did it. You did exactly, it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. No Across reason. Don't look back, man. Yeah. Don't look back. Uh, Jill, what's, what's your running history? Like, I mean, Dave kind of mentioned there running track and, and some of the shorter stuff in, in high school and college. Have you been running, you know, equally long or, or kind of how'd you get started in the sport of running? My background in running, like high school, I did track, but I was very reluctant to run. I started out doing the shot put, um, and I have no business doing the shot put. I am not built like a shot (laughs) thrower. So my coach let me hang on for a while until we went to a meet, and I wasn't even strong enough to throw it to qualify as an attempt. And he was like, you cannot do this anymore. So I was fast. I was a soccer player prior to running track and had no foot skills, but was fast. And so, um, jumped into sprints and track, but was not fast enough to really be competitive, but enjoyed it, loved the team, um, vibe and ended up being a captain, but partially I think because I was an enthusiastic participant more than a great athlete. And, um, but really fell in love with running when I got my first job. So my background is in education, um, started right out of college teaching high school math. And as tends to happen at a lot of private schools, um, they were like, and you're going to coach um, cross country. And the story with that was actually funny. My, I thought I was just going to coach soccer. And the athletic director called what he thought was my cell phone, but really was my parents' house. Because for whatever reason, I had my parents' house number on my resume. Um, and so he gets my dad and he asks if I'm there, which I'm not because I was at college at the time. And my dad's like, what's this about? And, and the AD was like, oh, we were just wondering if Jill would, uh, would coach cross country. And he was like, yeah, that sounds great. She'll do it. <laughs> and so, so I, I mean, I had no experience running cross country. I had done track, but like I said, it was all short distances. So I get a call from my dad and he's like, uh, just to let you know, you're going to be coaching cross country in the fall um, in California. And so had like three months to, in my eyes, become a runner. So signed up for a half marathon which I'd never done, started doing like mile repeats on the track in the morning, had no idea what I needed to be doing, but just felt like I needed to go in with more experience than I had. Um, and that was 15 years ago. So I've been coaching high school cross country since uh, I started teaching and fell in love with it, stopped coaching soccer and just fell in love with the purity of the sport and really regret not having run in high school, but also no, I just didn't have the chops to do it at that age. And just love working with kids who most of them 
are not runners before they start cross country. So it's cool taking these kids who have no experience with the sport and really getting them to learn how to like gut it out and figure out what they're capable of and work hard. Um, so my background in it has primarily been as a coach. Wow. I, I feel like you've had this, I've had this conversation with various folks along the way where, where kind of like what you just said, Jill, like, you know, I, I went out for the cross country team for whatever reason, but I wasn't a runner. I didn't really, I, I didn't, I didn't run at all. Like it was because there was, you know, my friends were doing it or the coach re- asked me to do it or whatever, whatever the reason might be. Um, you know, what, what, I don't know what, what is the secret is the right way of asking the question, but like, what's, what's your strategy? How do you, how do you go into, uh, you know, when you're, when you're meeting with one of these, these young athletes that, that doesn't have any type of real running background, like how do you, how do you help them to become, you know, interested in the sport? Because I, you mm. know, I think back to my high school days um, where I could run if I was chasing a ball or if there was, there was something else to do besides think about running. But the idea of like running as the sport was, laughable um how, how do you handle the athletes that you, that you coach when you when they're in that situation of like i don't run at all but let's try cross country yeah that's a great question i think we really win at our school because our team has such a good culture so i just coach girls and um i think kids tend to join because they have friends on the team or because they've heard of what the team vibe is like it's really supportive. The kids are not competitive with each other. You know, they do, they push one another, but um, there's genuine camaraderie on the team and it's a space where everybody is welcome. And I also make the point to brand new runners, that might be what gets you there, but what's exciting for somebody who has no background in running is the gains you see are so huge and happen so quickly. Because I, co- I do coach girls who have been running ever since they were like in third grade because they have a crazy dad who wants them to be groomed to be a college runner. But those girls tend to actually see less improvement over the course of the season just because they already have a great base and they have already been training for a long time. It's the kids who come in who have never done it before who see, you know, in two weeks, six minute improvements in a 5K distance. And are just having these incredible moments during a race where they're like, oh, wait, I can run faster. I can push myself harder. So I tend to see that it really their improvements hook them in a way that it just wouldn't happen in another sport that's skill based. So I think that the team, the culture, the friendships um, really sell them. But then what keeps them in it is realizing how you know, how exciting those changes can be over the course of the season. And then they come back sophomore year and don't improve that much. And at that point, they've already just realized they do love running and they do love working hard. Um, but but that first year, I really try to sell it to them as like, you have no idea what you're capable of. And it's going to be so exciting to figure out just just how good you can be and just how hard you can work. It's It's interesting to me that that the parallels of that story and and again i mean it makes total sense if you, when you don't when you haven't done much running before you're like yeah you're going to see all kinds of massive progress but the parallels between that and the adult runner who hasn't run you know hasn't been running at all or maybe hasn't hasn't running since they were a kid and it's been 20 years 30 years later and they get back into running and same thing where it's like my gosh i'm i'm knocking 30 seconds off my pace every week and I, you know my my progress is improving and then after a year or two all of a sudden those those gains are so are 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 fewer and farther between and, and the, the gap that you're making is, is smaller um, because you're, you're picked off some of that low hanging fruit and just how, you know, I guess the funny part to me is like, you know, sometimes I don't have a teenager yet, although my, my seven year old feels like she's going on you know, <laughs> t- teenage craziness. Um, 
but it's like, you know, the, the stereotype of, of teenagers are just like not humans sometimes, but like they really are like, we're all kind of humans. We all kind of have the same, the same patterns. And, and I feel like that's a theme we'll get into when I talk, when we start talking about the book a little bit more about how it might be geared towards college kids, but there's a lot of cross pollination or a lot of, of ways there that the book can relate to, you know, us adults as well, because we're humans and humans are kind of human as, as no matter how you, you slice it. But anyway, we'll get to that in just a minute. Dave, what's, what's your running, you know, kind of been like since, since high school and college running track at, at those levels? Uh, did you continue running consistently? Did you take some time off as, as I know some folks have, like how did, how does your running played out over the last several years? Well, just as a full kind of, uh, you know, catch up, I ran track because I played football. Mm. And so I had the luxury of running track in high school and then again in college and never winning a single race, right? <laughs> and there's something so humbling about running because, you know, the track season, similar to, to cross country or like you talk about the, um, the quick gains that people will see when they're first introduced to the sport and when they first kind of dedicate some serious work towards it is that I loved in the track season how you would get two months in and you could just feel it in your legs. You're like, I am in shape right now. Like I'd be at a, a party in high school to be like, does anybody want to go in the street and run? You know, like <laughs> I will race anybody at this party right now. Um, Was the answer always no? No. Yeah. The, <laughs> no. Occasionally there'd be somebody and then, you know, it, it was never a great idea. Uh, but it wasn't until... After I'd been a few years out of college and I was working and I needed something for myself that was not um, just put yourself into work and grind mode. And so I started volunteering coaching football at the high school where Jill was a teacher and a cross country coach. And that's how we initially met, um, was coaching at the same school. And she invited me to go on a run. It was like our first date. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> our first date was a run. I feel like and, that, that can go uh, one of two. Obviously, I, it went the good way, but that could have that could have blown up pretty pretty quickly as well. That's what I figured. Yeah. I, that's why I feel like it was a good tool. It's you pretty quickly can assess whether or not this person can hang. Right. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, spoiler alert: like we're still here and we're still together. <laughs> but um, like based on that first run, you might not have predicted that this would have been our future because I think we got maybe forty minutes in, and I looked. Oh at my her. gosh, not even. Well, I think like we got seven. We got seven yeah. minutes in, and I looked. I looked at her, and I was like, "So, at what point does this start becoming fun?" And you were very dark. Oh you yeah. You were like oh, angry yeah. with me yeah. that we were doing this. I'm. Uh, I'm not a morning person. I yes. still struggle with it. It's. Uh, that was the key. It, and was, it was like early. a sunrise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did like a sunrise run. And I think um, it kind of echoes some of what you were saying earlier, too, Denny, about um, when you're so used to seeing gains, it's not that that's the only thing that you're working for is, is, is improvement, but especially when you're working with the smaller distances, you tend to have these micro goals or these time-based goals in mind almost every time you do a run or you do a workout, right? So it's like if you have a, a little one-mile loop or a two-mile loop or you're even running around a track, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to try and run at 75 seconds or I'm going to try and run at, you know, seven and a half minutes. And, and you've got these kind of very short-term things in mind. And just kind of going for an easy jog and talking, it was like, okay, well, what's the point? <laughs> like, when are we going to get there? Um and it wasn't until probably, I mean, I, I just, I forced it because I was obviously into her. And, and, and so we, we went on a lot of runs together and it, it took years, 
before I could start to let go of this idea that I've got to hit a certain pace or I've got to hit a certain time by this one marker. And that's my only measurement for whether or not this is enjoyable, let alone how am I doing, you know, while we're doing this. And I think maybe a couple years in, I start to hit this idea of, oh, I, I'm not paying attention to my watch. I'm not paying attention to the app on my phone that's tracking the progress. I'm just running by feel. And I don't even care when I stop. Um, and that was a big kind of breakthrough moment for me as a runner, that it's, it's not based on um, a goal or a time, but it was solely based on, you know, how am I feeling while I'm doing this? And it became a great place for me to try and work out problems with, with work or, or, or try and crack something that I was having a hard time with. Um, it is just going on a run, inevitably I, w- I would end up thinking about whatever, um, whatever problem I was trying to solve. And, and what a special thing to be able to have these things you can focus on that are not running based. And then you're like, oh my God, I just went another four miles. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think that was possible with my body or with the way that I was feeling this morning. So I have her completely to blame for why I got into this sport uh, from a, from a recreational enjoyment standpoint. And it's something that I, I can't recommend enough to, to people because it's the community aspect of running is so unique where, you know, I, sh- I would show up to these races when we would first get to like, you know, a 5k or a 10k or a half marathon and instantly I'm sizing people up <laughs> before the race starts. The race starts, we're a mile in. I'm still, okay, that guy's going, I'm going to try and follow that guy. I'm going to try, you know, the, the hyper competitiveness was, um, was too much to kind of push down. But to see everybody after you finish a race be genuinely happy for just for the fact that you're there was so infectious. And still to this day, we run, um, we run down to the LA Marathon. We don't run the LA Marathon, but we run down to the LA Marathon every single year. And we bring a cowbell and now we bring our kids and we cheer on people as they run by. And our kids are like, what is this? Yeah, This yeah. is crazy. Everybody's so excited. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's something that's really special. And I have her to blame. So it's, it's well, all your fault. And, and when we met, I was part of, you know, out here, we're really lucky in that there's um, a few amazing running clubs. One of them is actually all trail running. And that, that was when I moved out to California, I joined pretty quickly. And that gave me family and community out here. And, you know, so my introduction to running was coaching, but I fell in love with it personally and found a whole group of people that, you know, are different paces and like different distances, but all come together with a shared love of running and both of us having a background in team sports and having coached, having that team was just a great motivator, particularly, you know, like Dave was saying, when the um, competitiveness, you know, when you can switch gears out of that, just having people you love seeing and going to practice with and showing up to races and being able to cheer on or um, wait for it to finish line and have a beer with afterwards, that, that community, that culture, uh, was really infectious for both of us. And we've since had to stop because, you know, life with kids is just uh, busy and <laughs> doesn't leave a lot of free time. Um, but that was something that really allowed us both to just be hooked in a big way when we first met. Well, and, and the good thing about running and, and the running community is that it, it never goes anywhere. It, you know, so yeah. 
like right now things are a little bit crazy and you're not as, as plugged in as you might want to be, but you know, five years, eight years, 10 years, 20 years from now, you want to get back into the running clubs and doing the things and, and, and having all the, that community, they'll, they'll still be runners. We'll still be wanting to, you know, have the beers and, and have the coffees and sometimes both and whatever the case might yeah. be, uh, just, just hanging out and, you know, telling stories and, and doing the thing. Um, Dave, I got to ask you, like, cause it sounds a, a lot like my kind of same situation. We get into running and, and my wife was much more of the runner at the time. Did Jill ever do the annoying thing where y'all, y'all would be out on a run together and then she'd like run up ahead of you and then like come and run back to you and then like get in front of you and run backwards and be like, come on, slow poke, let's go. Or is that just, is that just a me and Rebecca thing? Oh man, I, uh, there, there's no way of me answering this that doesn't make me sound like a complete jerk. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. Um, I, that exact situation, I think only may have happened on longer runs where, uh, the weakness of my soul was brought to the surface. Um, but, but on shorter runs, I, I, I had been, I'll just say it for you. Dave is prepared. I could train seven days a week and really put in the work and be like, I am in great shape. And Dave is just one of those people that doesn't need to do anything. And he will come out and smoke you because he's just perpetually fit. And guys. so yeah. it's, it's the worst. And so it's the exact opposite. He will, I will have been training, 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 getting ready for something. And he's like, Oh, I'll come for a run with you. And then he does the loop back and he is very kind about it, but it's also just, it seems like it's such an injustice, <laughs> that, you know, that I could be putting in all the work and he just shows up and can still crush me. But from, from a competitive standpoint, uh, you know, in my age group, I'm never winning That's true. anything ever. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that there's so many people who ran cross country because I ran shorter distances. Right. And so I would see these guys, you know, put up crazy times in 5Ks or in 10Ks. And I'm always aware of my limitations, um, but I, I was lucky that I at least had enough of an athletic base that I could stick with her. Yeah. And that's probably the only reason why I could, you know, stick around for, for more of the runs. Um, In the female 30 to 35 category, you yeah, would win. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, 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 could, I, I could be at the Olympic trials every year. No, that's probably that's not, not true. That's not true. No way. But, but, but my high school 400 time would have qualified for the Olympic trials. For women? For women. But, okay. but I never – yeah. I got I, I to stop. I got to stop. D- Dave. Reel it back, dude. Reel back. We're good. We're good. Let's, let's, let's we're turn good. the corner before, uh, before we get any deeper here. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, yeah. So, so talking about the book, like we, we teased it a couple of times and, and, um, I'm curious how, how, how the greatest college health guide came together. What was the, what was the impetus for writing the book? How, how, how did it become a, was it, was it always going to be a joint project? Like how did, how did this whole process of putting a book together, coming up with the idea, getting it out there? Um, where did that all get started? That's a, that's a great question. So, I'll even start with the joint process thing because we'd actually been, um, so background, my background, like I said earlier is in high school education. I was a math teacher, but specifically statistics. And then Dave actually works in television and film. He's an editor and a producer and does some writing on projects, but typically like documentary stuff or unscripted, which is a nice way of saying reality. Um, and so uh, neither of our backgrounds were necessarily in writing. 
But when we went on our honeymoon and then we did some um, really cool European trips after that, and a lot of them were, you know, where we'd go on long hikes or runs and inevitably just have disastrous outcomes. And we started writing about it and writing about it together, mostly because these trips were long. And so we'd alternate. So I would do Monday, he'd do Tuesday, I'd do Wednesday, et cetera. Um, and we just really loved writing. We loved writing about our failures and found that that was the most fun way to share with our families what we've been up to. And, uh, and so, you know, we, this was, the book sort of came together in like the fall of 2016 and we'd just gotten back from a trail running adventure in Switzerland and had really been loving writing about that. And, you know, so, so it was on the forefront of our minds and the book really came to be because at the end of a cross country season, one of my seniors who didn't have any other sports coming up, but was in the middle of college applications came up to me at the last race of the season and was like, how do, how do I do this? How am I going to do college? And her concern was the freshman 15, mm-hmm. but she was just like, now that I'm not going to have sports, um, now that I'm not going to have team culture, you know, for some perspective, because I coach cross country and because I'm really interested in health and wellness, I do this whole summer program on, you know, managing stress and getting enough sleep and thinking about um, your training so that they're informed when they're doing their work in cross country we talk about nutrition, hydration, all of it. So they have this whole program about wellness, but her concern was how do I translate any of that to a college environment now that I'm no longer with my teammates who also, you know, prioritize this and I'm not going to be in my house with my parents who are cooking the meals, et cetera. So we, you know, we were interested in helping, but we thought we'd just kind of throw together a packet of things. And a few things happened. We realized that there's a lot of information out there, but it's not, it's not comprehensive. It's not combined. The bigger issue is that it's really not written in a way that would appeal to a teenager. It's on a lot of college websites, you know, nutrition information, how to avoid the freshman 15, how to eat in a dining hall. Uh, But it's super dry and super clinical. Like Dave says, it feels like a pamphlet you'd find in a doctor's office. So, um, you know, our, our initial goal was we just got to rewrite this so that it's more engaging to a kid and funny and feels approachable. And so we made a joke at a senior brunch. We were like, man, there's so much information out there. Um, but honestly, like you could write a book on this stuff. And it was one of my runners who looked at us and was like, you guys should do it because they knew we'd been doing writing. And we were like, oh, all right. All right. As so we talked about it for a few weeks and we were like, are we going to do this? And so it sort of just happened it was, you know, really motivated by their needs and their interest in it. And we had no idea it would become what it has. Um, we thought we would self-publish. We thought we'd give it as a gift. Um, but it turns out a lot of people need this information. <laughs> so it really spiraled into a much bigger project that took us, man, five, I think five years from uh, initial idea to completion to get done. Yeah, I think that's about right. And we, you know, it started as an interesting problem to solve. Yeah. You've got information that's available. It's not getting to the people who need it. Why? Why isn't it connecting to those people? Especially if every college and university has a tab on their website that's devoted to this information. And so, especially with the background that I have, um, you know, working in packaging stories, how do you engage an audience? immediately? How do you keep them engaged when you're 10 minutes in, when you're 30 minutes in, when you're five chapters in? And so that to me always was kind of this interesting um, conundrum is, is how do you take information that is 
that everybody needs that when you go off to college for the first time, you have no idea how to take care of yourself, but how do you present it in a way that would actually make people want to continue reading? Um, and so that alone was something that I thought, this is, this is worthy. This is worthy of our time. This is worthy of us doing. A lot of early mornings, a lot of Saturday morning babysitters. We had to sacrifice our own health on numerous yeah, occasions. The irony. Which, which we would laugh about all the time. We'd be eating pizza at four in the morning, like, look at us. We're writing a health book. While, while writing the chapter about don't eat pizza at four in the morning, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Pretty much. But, but that was something that we... It just felt like this doesn't exist. If it existed, we would have grabbed it. We would have given it to all the girls as a graduation present. Um, but we felt like there was a real need to attach personal human experience to these things because everybody struggles with this stuff. That's enough to hear somebody say, you know, who's a freshman at UCLA, man, I, ha I struggled so much with sleep. These are the things that I wish that I had known, you know, going into the to the beginning. When you attach a human story to it and you, you personalize it a little bit, it it removes this idea of, well, a carbohydrate is this and you need to hit so many REM cycles in a night in order to blank, blank, blank. Um, so, so we not only, you know, took it on ourselves to do as much research as possible and interview health professionals, but we surveyed hundreds of students across the country in order to gather the best advice we possibly could, because if it's just coming from two 30-year-old parents, um, that has its own kind of soapboxing connotation to it. But we really wanted to root this information, first and foremost, in struggle, in failure. You know, we say all the time, health is not a pass-fail. It's not something that you wish you could live up to and then find out, oh, wait, I can't uh, because that's just the way that the world works. What is important is once you fall off the wagon, how do you take the steps to get back moving in the direction that you want to go? And what are some wonderful things that other people have learned along the way that can help you set those initial guidelines for yourself? I, I feel like when I was reading through the book and, and find myself a little bit, you know, wishing as I'm sure you've heard this before, God, I wish I wish this book was available 20-something years ago when I was going to college because it actually would have been one of those books that you get as a high school graduation present that doesn't just go on the shelf but might actually have read it and, and gotten something out of it. Um, but I really enjoyed the the snippets and the, the, the quotes that were pulled from the other college students because, you know, th th there you go. Like, and you kind of mentioned it, Dave, like it's, it's more peer-to-peer -peer instead of the adults telling us how to how to figure things out when we get to college. How much of a... I don't know, an undertaking maybe was collecting all of those surveys and, and, and getting, getting feedback from college students or, or were they happy to, to provide like how much of a, of a extra layer of work was, was that part of the process? Cause I feel like that might be nothing personal against y'all, but th that might be almost the most powerful part of the book is hearing from the other college students. Absolutely. And, and, and so how much of a, how much work was it to get that, that part of the book taken care of? It was, it was a lot, um, but because my background's in statistics, the design of the survey and, you know, executing it um, and then analyzing the results was really exciting for me and felt like it was very much within my wheelhouse. And so we talked a lot with um, a friend who's a PhD in psychology. She helped us figure out the right way to word questions to make sure that we elicited these real, raw, vulnerable responses. We were really surprised by how willing um, you know, how open, but also how verbose these students were willing to be. Like when they shared responses, it was never 
a, or I should say it was rarely like a one-liner. They really took the time to write about their experience. And who knows why that is, whether it was because it was spring semester and they were trying to avoid doing their homework, or they really just wanted to share some things they wish they had known before they started school. I think when you give somebody an opportunity to talk about their experience in a reflective way, um, a lot of people are really excited to do it. And so we were delighted to see the length of these responses and the thoughtfulness of the responses. And we're lucky in that we were able to do um, what's called the snowball approach. So basically, I collected a small group of kids who I taught, and then they passed it off to kids at their college who then passed it off to kids at, you know, from their high school, etc. So, you know, what started with maybe like 15 kids ballooned into a couple hundred. Um, and so just we were very lucky in their willingness to participate. Um, and reading their responses while it was a lot of work was you're like finding nuggets of gold in these things these students are saying that are so that are articulated more thoughtfully and more heartfully than anything that we could have written because they're in it and they're really thinking about like what am I what would I tell my my younger brother or um, you know my cousin who's about to start. And so it was a lot of work, but the most exciting part of the project by far. And structurally, it added a lot of form to the book, not just necessarily as a through line for how we were going to uh, balance the narrative between our own personal experiences, between what the research says, and then including other students' voices. But as you're reading through, you know, I forget how many pages our PDF was of all the collected responses, but I'm pretty sure it was over 100. You'd, you'd see something that would pop out and you're like, wow, that is, that is evocative. And so that gives me an opportunity to recontextualize this, not just as a something that can elaborate on the difficulties of handling peer pressure, but can be an entry point into a topic that has the opportunity to kind of grab you in a way that if you're just hearing somebody say, now remember, when you're off on your own, you can stand up for yourself. To your point, that peer-to-peer uh, driven conversation has so much more power to it. If you're hearing somebody say, you know, I'm, I'm a junior. And when I was a freshman, I went to a party and I was so scared that people were going to get me to, they were, were going to want me to do something I didn't want to do. And the first time I turned down a drink, they were so okay with it. It was like this huge balloon of stress and anxiety that I could let go. And I realized, oh my God, they don't care whether or not I drink. I just need to be able to say this if that's really what I want. And that message coming from a peer has so much more value. And especially as, as people who have, uh, have both coached, but what Jill can speak to more from a coaching standpoint, when you have your team enforcing kind of the rules of the team or you have the culture setting the example for other students, it, it removes the burden of I'm going to stand up here on a soapbox as a coach and tell you what to do. And it opens this kind of more inclusive space for kids to see examples of, oh, well, maybe I can stand up for myself in that way. Um, because I've seen other kids who have done it, and it's not my parents who are telling me. So it, it, it had tremendous value to in, incorporate as many voices as we could. Yeah, it, it comes across great, and in, in, uh, like I said, I definitely wish I would have had it 22 years ago when I was graduating high school right about now and, and getting ready to, to head off to college. Um, but like I mentioned a little bit earlier, I feel like maybe there's a, 
for me specifically, I feel like the, the alcohol chapter was a great chapter, but like as far as where I am in life right now, probably not as applicable to, to where I am as, as a 40 sure. year old as I was when I was 18 and heading off to college. But outside of that, I feel like there's a lot of carryover and a lot of things where um, I can read it and, and clearly see that, you know, the, the, the sleep chapter, the stress chapter, the, the various chapters that you have in the book, like I can see where this relates to the college experience but it also kind of still relates to the human experiences as, as a 40 year old. And, and, and I'm sure it'll continue to relate to some, some aspects going forward. Was it intentional um, to have written a book that, yeah, it's focused on college kids, but it kind of covers a lot of the, a lot of grounded for, for adults at various points of their life. Or was that kind of a happy coincidence? I think that frankly, the struggle to take care of yourself is a universal experience. There are absolutely um, some specific factors to the age range of going to college, the circumstances of that 18 to 22, of going off to a new experience for sure. But the bottom line is that it's hard to consistently take care of yourself. And so that kind of awareness of I'm feeling dis-ease right now, what is the source of this? Like that doesn't go away once you graduate and move on to a job or start a family or buy a house or whatever life stage you happen to be at. I think it's tricky to figure out um, how am I going to do this in a way that works for me. And so shortening the amount of time that it takes for you to register, oh my God, I feel like garbage. Okay. What is the source? And then what can I do differently next week? Yeah, one of the things that I'll explain to my runners, because we, we obviously talk about this all the time, is I still feel like garbage. It doesn't matter that we wrote a health book. It's uh, that I'm human, and there are times when I don't prioritize myself and my needs. The only difference, as I've gotten older, and as we did the research for this book, is I'm just better at recognizing it, and then I know very quickly what I need to do to turn it around. And so that's, you know, the, the benefit of age and experience. And so we really frame it as like college is just the beginning of that. It's the beginning of learning to listen to your body and be responsible for how you feel and recognize that you have the power to do something about it if you don't feel good. So we looked at our book as just a collection of different ideas about how to turn it around with full recognition that everybody needs something different. And the reason that Dave, I mean, Dave and I, it was, it was a good experience writing it together because the things that we struggle with are very different. And so it was, uh, you know, it was fun to think about like, well, I don't really struggle with sleep. I'm a good sleeper. I can get myself to go to bed early. Dave has a very difficult time with it. And so it was great for us to write from the perspective of two people who have different struggles to be able to acknowledge that that like everybody's body feels different for different reasons and at different times. Right. Sometimes, you know, some weeks I do a very bad job managing stress and some weeks I do a very bad job managing nutrition. Like the challenges always change. Um, and so, you know, I do think to your point that this is always applicable because we never are done taking care of ourselves. <laughs> we might get better at it. We might know how to, you know, get back on track quicker um, but in general, it's like, it's just a lifelong job. You can't, unfortunately, there's not like a pill you can take or a class you can take. There's no 30 day quick fix that like all of a sudden you're never going to feel like garbage again. Um, and so really those lessons are, you know, useful for the rest of your life as you're taking care of yourself. But college is sort of the beginning of that. And oddly enough, we, nobody gets training in it. 
There's no class in in high school that prepares you for taking care of yourself on your own. For whatever reason, as a society, we assume that's a thing that should be sort of learned by trial and error, which it should be. But the the message needs to be communicated that like it is a trial and error, that you have to be paying attention to your your body and the way that you feel um, and learn how to better give yourself what you need. And for whatever reason, we don't, you know, in our formal education system, there's no opportunity to really learn about the basics of your health, um, the preventative stuff that you can do to make sure that you, you know, feel good mentally and physically. So we're sort of like a crisis management type, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like, I feel like as a culture, that is the way that we do things. It's like intervention based rather than prevention based. And so we really wanted to put out a book that was like, it's going to be hard. We're going to give you some ideas of how to move, you know, move in the right direction. But it doesn't mean you're not going to feel like awful at some points. Um, but that's part of it is the feeling awful is really important so that you can recognize the things that, you know, got you there. And then you learn how to turn it around. And so, you know, that's that's really what we were trying to contribute to the conversation about health is there are some things that you can do to make it better when it feels bad, but the feeling bad is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And it's, and it's such a both and, you know, whether you want proactive, reactive, you know, mm-hmm. preventative, uh, you know, whatever the opposite of whatever the post of preventative is post post preventative. No, that's not it, but whatever it is, like it's, it's, it is both, you know, you, you can do yeah. all the right things and things can still go sideways. Um, but at least, you know, trying to, to have an idea of how to prevent some of the, the rough days or the, the garbage days or whatever, um, but then also how to kind of respond and how to pick yourself back up and, and try it again. And, and yeah, it's, you know, heaven forbid we don't ask our, our we kind of do sometimes ask whether it's implicitly or, or a little bit more into the surface of like, you know, you're 18, 19 now, like you're an adult, like figure it out. And like, I mean, you know, I'm here to say I still don't necessarily have it figured out. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I ever will. Um, but yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit, I don't swing quite as to the extreme as I did when I was 18, 19, 20, but we're still, you know, still not always walking the straight and narrow as much as we might like to be. Totally. But I, but isn't that so human, right? That, that times like we make the point in our book that our fitness wavers throughout the year, just based on the season, based on the weather, based on, uh, we had a line in there, you know, the return of the McRib at McDonald's. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. I think all of us go in ebbs and flows and that's so natural. And the, it is a very rare case that somebody is always doing the right things for their health and, and never falls into the trap of like, well, I've really been neglecting this area. Um, I think most people really ride the waves and I, the more conversation can center around the fact that that's, that's normal, that there's not a fix. Um, I think that that's a really important thing to tell young people because they need to recognize that it's not their fault if they don't feel good at a certain point. I mean, it is to an extent, but maybe the better way of framing it is it's, it's not, it's not weird. It's very normal to go through these periods where you have lows and then you have highs. Um, that's just part of the human experience. And so they might recognize that in college, but they're the benefit, the, sort of the blessing and the curse of independence is like, it's on you to figure it out now. And so providing them with some tools is a really important thing that parents, that coaches, that schools um, need to start doing a better job of. And I think that there is a lot of belief that this is the college's issue to figure out. But really, it's everybody who's in a young person's life can be a support in helping them better learn how to take care of themselves. 
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And, and, um, you know, for, for whatever, for the third or fourth time today, I was like, gosh, I wish I would have had this, this book when I was heading off to college. So everybody listening, if you've got a child or a niece or a nephew or a cousin or whatever, they, the kid across the street, <laughs> um, this would this would be a book that you know I don't know too many high school seniors that are super excited to get a book when they when they graduate high school, but this is one of those that might not be a bad option for them to have on their shelf. So get them a copy of the book, um, and and again we'll we'll make sure everything's linked up in the show notes. Greatestcollegehealthguide.com is the website. So uh, Jill and Dave, before we completely wrap up, but kind of shifting gears and and, and definitely pulling this thing in for for a close. Can't let you out of here without a philosophical question. Uh, just kind of like the introductory question, very open-ended. You can each answer it as long or as short as you want to. But um, just curious for the both of you. You know, at this at this point in your life, with with kids and a book and work and family and all the things going on, um, why is running still an important part of your life? I mean, Jill, obviously there's a little bit of professional bit there, but but beyond the professional and and Dave for you as well, why is why is running still something that y'all do on on a regular basis? You are, yeah, I'm happy to start. It's well, first off, it's a break. It's a, it's a break from work. It's a break from parenting. It's time I can set aside that belongs to nobody else in this world but me. And while there are some obvious physical benefits to it in terms of the way that it makes me feel, um, what I love most about running is the mental break that it gives me from all of the obligations that I need to take care of. You know, when I get back, I get to pause those while I'm on that run. And inevitably, you know, like I mentioned before, when there's something I'm trying to figure out and I don't know what to do, it's so weird the way our brains work moments, typically around halfway to two or three quarters of the way through the run, where I'll think of something, my subconscious will present uh, a solution that may or may not be the right answer, but it, it furthers the conversation with myself about, well, what am I going to do on this? And so I, I love it for those reasons that I don't, I don't have a ton of opportunities in my life at this exact stage to say this moment belongs to me and nobody else, but running is one of those things. And I, I very much do not take that for granted. Um, mine is, mine is similar. My relationship with running really changed after having kids and starting to like learn to, you know, accept my new body. And I think, um, I love how strong I feel after I finish a run mentally and physically, even if it's a bad run and you're like, no, I just gutted it out and I did it. And I got out here, even if I was slow, um, but man, the days when I'm fast and my form is good and I finish and I'm like, I crushed that. It's uh, it's really nice to feel powerful again. And I think after having kids, having to work hard to get my speed back and to get my strength back, it's just, it's so nice to feel strong and to feel tough. And um, I don't always want to go out and do it, but it's the kind of thing, one of the most re like reliable things in my life where after I do it, I always feel good, mentally and physically. Um, and I just, you know, I keep reminding myself of that on those days, you know, when I am feeling out of shape, when I am feeling unmotivated that I know running always delivers, like it always delivers whatever I need. Um, I come out of a run feeling just good about myself and the work that I put in. And that's, it's a good feeling to have when there's a lot of other things pulling at your attention and your time and your energy, uh, something that's as reliable as that. There's one, one quick thing I wanted to add to that, too, because something you just said, Jill, made me realize, you know, a, another kind of special component to running. And when you talk about 
focusing on your form. Mm. That's something that, you know, having a running background, there's a natural running form that I kind of fall into. But thinking about my form and then where I can play around with, well, can I, can my mm. arms move less? Or can I shift my weight just slightly here or there? These kind of, uh, th- these small little things to focus on presents a, almost like a monk like situation (laughs) like the monk is cleaning the monastery with a toothbrush and it doesn't matter how long it takes but just the act of cleaning the monastery with the toothbrush is its own kind of subtle meditation i read an article the other day that bill gates and jeff bezos both do the same thing at the end of every single day and it's the dishes and the reason they like cleaning the dishes this small mundane seemingly task that um, allows them to focus on one little minute thing is it opens up your brain to other things. And so there's something very calm and soothing about like, and for me also very fleeting of like, I'm in it. I have the perfect running form right now. And by the time I've said that, it's already gone. Like, (laughs) you you know, I've I've already like found myself a little off kilter. And so there is, there's something very, um, meditative about just honing in on something very simple mm. that oddly unlocks things that are more challenging. I like that. Am I the only one that doesn't believe that those guys actually wash dishes? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they have like one cup that they wash. Right. I watch my robot clean the dishes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, whether it's true or not, it makes for a good story and, and uh, you know, or at least a good, a good anecdote to a, to a story, but certainly, um, as is often the case with the philosophical questions, I just find myself nodding along to, to both of you uh, with everything you were saying, like, yep, yep, that makes sense. Yep, I, that works for me too. Yeah, I, the same type of thing. Um, so, so thank you for sharing some of those, those whys. And um, y'all, once again, uh, greatestcollegehealthguide.com is the website. Uh, on Instagram, at 2CoachHenrys or at greatestcollegehealthguide. Dizruns.com slash 1050 uh, is the link back to the show notes for today for, again, everything will be linked up as per usual. If you're out and about and can't write something down or you forgot something or whatever the case might be, we'll have it for you there. Dizruns.com slash 1050. Uh, Jill, Dave, thanks for uh, for making the time this morning and uh, in, in all in all seriousness, although I, I, I don't know that I needed to say that, but like thank you for writing a book that that really hopefully is making an impact on our, on our young people that are heading off to college and, and helping to show them that, um, that they don't need to be perfect and, and that, uh, you know, they, they can kind of help figure it out, but here's a little guide to help them. And, uh, certainly, uh, and, and again, for the fourth or fifth time, wish I had it when I was a kid. Um, but glad it's out there now and, and I'll be passing it on to mine in 10 years when she's heading off to college. And, um, but, uh, anyway, all that to say, thanks again for the book. Thanks for the time today. And uh, keep on keeping on, keep making a difference in the world and, and uh, all the best for y'all going forward. Thank you so much. It was such a treat to be here and chat with you. Yeah, thanks, Denny. This is great. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. Hope you enjoyed the conversation between Jill and Dave and myself. And as per usual, be curious to know what stood out to you from today's episode. What was your uh, little takeaway du jour? Du jour. For me, it came a little bit closer towards the end. We were talking about the book, and Jill mentioned that uh, one of the things that that she really realized going through the process of putting the book together and writing it is that you know everybody everybody has struggles, everybody has areas they struggle with. But obviously, you know, it seems obvious. At least you know I think it does. Obviously, not everybody 
has the same struggles. And I, it was just really, it was, it was a good reminder to me to, to not always assume that because something's easy for me or hard for me, it's as equally easy or hard for you or for anybody else, whether we're talking running things, whether we're talking life, business, family, uh, whatever the case might be, we all have areas that we struggle with. I have areas that I struggle with. I have a lot of areas that I struggle with. Perhaps I have a few areas that I'm pretty good at, or at least I don't struggle with completely. I, I don't know. But but the point being, you know, or at least the, 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 my point in, in addressing this and, and why it stood out to me so much is just, it's just that subtle little reminder that, you know, everybody, everybody's got their, their, their struggles, right? Sometimes we know about them. Sometimes we don't, uh, and that doesn't matter, but you know, just, just to recognize or just to remember when, when I'm dealing with people, whether it's, whether it's people I'm working with as a coach, whether it's people I interact with on social media, whether it's, whether I have to venture out of my house and I'm dealing with, with somebody interacting with somebody in the real world, um, you know, we all have our struggles. And so I guess, I guess, my takeaway is to, to not only recognize that, but to maybe do what I can to not contribute to somebody's struggles, to, to shine a little light, to help out, whether it's offering a little bit of advice, whether it's answering a question, whether it's just smiling, um, you know, whatever it is, if, if there's something that we can do, if something that I can do to help somebody else have a little bit better day, I, mean, I don't know what they're struggling with, but odds are they're struggling with something. If I can help them have a, a slightly better day, it's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. And and so maybe it's a little bit convoluted through all that, but just, just, you know, when, when Jill pointed out that, that she has her struggles and Dave has his struggles and they're not always the same struggles. And maybe that's a good thing as a, as a married couple that, you know, sometimes the, the an area that one is strong in the other is weakened and that can kind of fill in those gaps. Um, but again, we all have our struggles. We all have our, our things that, that aren't where we want them to be. And, uh, if we can help other people out, if I can help other people out, it's time well spent, time well spent. So yeah, a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper than usual, but I think, I hope that's a good thing. I hope that's a good thing. Um, did something that they said make you think? Did something Dave said or, or Jill said, or heaven forbid, something I said made you think? Uh, from today's episode, if so, let me know at DizRuns on Twitter, at DizRuns on Instagram. You can also send an email to DizRuns at gmail.com. And of course, you can also also head over to the the show notes for today's episode, as you can get to by pointing your browser at disruns.com slash one zero five zero disruns.com slash ten fifty links, photos, the whole nine as per usual. Of course, there's also that comment section down at the bottom where you can leave your thoughts and feedbacks and takeaways for me and the whole world to see uh, right there on the comment section of today's show notes. So. Uh, that is where we'll wrap this one up today. Again, if you're willing to share your thoughts, I would love to hear them. Uh, one last call for Be Ready on Race Day. If you if you go to Amazon to get yourself a copy of Dave and Jill's book, um, you know, I, I feel like there's a rule. Side note, but I feel like there's a rule that you can't just buy one book from Amazon, whether it's a Kindle book, print book, whatever. You can't just buy one book. So throw Be Ready on Race Day on your cart as well. So check out Be Ready on Race Day. Help you put your training plan together check out their book as well the greatest college health guide and not for nothing might be just the greatest human health guide i said it i said it the greatest human health guide but the title is the greatest college health guide grab grab yourself a copy grab a copy for 
anyone that's in your periphery that might be heading off to college, it will help them. Guaranteed it. Guarantee it that it will be a helpful, useful book for any college student um, or just any young person or any not so young person. Anyway, be ready on raceday.com is the website. You can get the book on Amazon as well. And with that, we will go ahead and wrap this one up, y'all. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your attention. Thanks for taking the three of us with you today. And until next time, y'all be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, right? Later, y'all.